John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Verse number 9 says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. When I was 18 and 19 years old, I was working at the maintenance department for um, Marathon Oil in the office complex there in Ashland. So they had three big buildings there, multiple floor buildings, and in that maintenance department, they had the electrician department, and then they had general maintenance, HVAC, plumbing. So they had, there's a lot of maintenance guys to keep up with those three buildings. And uh, within those three buildings, there's a Nazarene seminary student, um, a free will Baptist pastor, and then there's another group of guys that went to a church, what you might call a Calmenian. You know, there was sort of Calvinistic in some ways and sort of Armenian in the others. And so didn't really know what they believed. I, I heard his pastor on the radio a lot. And so uh, one day we were all sitting in the break room and I asked one of those guys, I said, you believe in election? And they all looked at me and um, said, well, uh, he kind of scowled at me, the one guy did, and said, well, I vote every time there's a president for election. And he got up and left. And uh, that free will bad, this pastor came up to me and said, you know, there's other things in the Bible besides election. You don't have to talk about, you know, we don't have to talk about election. We can just bypass it. And I thought, well, that's true. There are other things in the Bible besides election, but election is in the Bible. And you can't get away from that. You can't get away from the fact that um, the Father has chosen some unto salvation. You might not like that fact. And as you all know, I, I mean, I don't, preach on election every Sunday morning so there are other things in the Bible but I just always thought that was an odd kind of rebuke well there's other things so let's not talk about the things that's in there uh, election is a very clear doctrine in the scripture and in reality you have to have another agenda coming to this chapter to say that God doesn't distinguish and make choices between one group of people and the other. You might not like what Jesus says in these verses, but it is kind of hard to disagree or to, to not know what he's saying. So you have to come with some other type of agenda or presupposition to read the text that we have before us and say, well, Jesus is praying for everybody. This text if nothing else, distinguishes two groups of people, those that Jesus is praying for and those he's not praying for. And when you look at the whole prayer, those that Jesus is praying for are those who he blesses and those that he desires to go to heaven, to be where he is and to see his glory. So well, that's just talking about the apostles. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So then he says in verse 21 that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also might be one in us, 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There are, he is making distinctions, and he's praying for somebody in particular. And he's, he's excluding people in particular. And so in verses 9 and 10 this morning, we just want to look at um, and, and consider, I pray for them. And, and, and just notice that Jesus is praying for particular people, and um, we see the doctrine of, of election in this. And the first thing we want to think about is Jesus says, I pray for them. And we're going to think about from the fact of who is praying, who's doing the praying. So we want to remember who this is is praying and why he's praying. So we've spent a long time um, in the upper room and spent several weeks now on this prayer of Jesus. So he's the 11 disciples were in the upper room. Now he's praying there to the Father with these 11 disciples, these saved um, godly men. And he's praying with them. And in this section... Jesus first prays for himself, then he prays for his apostles, then he prays for all believers. So we're in the section right now where he's praying for those apostles there with him. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is praying, mediating, interceding for his people. This is not a prayer of a man like you and I might pray. You know, I mentioned a little baby. I was going through the the prayer list and mentioned that little baby. I don't know what life has in store for her. I don't know how her life's going to end up. I can pray for her. I can pray that the Lord would be merciful and be gracious. I can pray because I don't know. And I can pray and, and, and God can say, yes, I'll answer those prayers as you prayed. But God could also say, no, that's not my will. Um, it's not a wrong, it's not an incorrect prayer in the sense that it's an ungodly thing to pray for, but that's not my will. So God, God can tell me yes or God can tell me no. But Jesus here is not praying just a, as a man saying, well, I hope this happens and if, you know, I, I would desire this happen. No, he's, he's praying as our high priest. He's interceding for us. Not just as an ordinary high priest even. Because the, the ordinary high priest, the, the, the guy there in Jerusalem, he is praying for uh, Israel during this time, this Passover time. So it's not ordinary high priest, right? Um, but he is the high priest. Thomas Manton said, um, who is it that prays for him? He says, I that am thy beloved and thy only begotten son. It is he who is co-eternal with the Father. Is he that has glorified the Father upon the earth and done all the work that the Father had him to do? It is he who is holy and harmless and undefiled. It is he whose prayers the Father promised to hear. It is he who is the authorized mediator between God and man. It is he who was sent into the world for this very purpose. So there was great weight to Jesus' prayers. There's great authority with Jesus' prayer here. And so Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He is the God-man, uh, made um, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. He is co-eternal and consubstantial with the Father. And so that, that as a man, he can be our compassionate high priest, and as God, he can, um, he can come before the Father. 
And so what a wonderful mediator that we have. I think it's nice when somebody tells me that they're praying for them and, and, or praying for me. If I'm going through a hard time to know that, that people are praying for me. Because I, I think the Father hears the prayers of His children. And if it's the Lord's will, then you know, well, I know the Lord's will will be done. But think about this, that Jesus is praying for us. The God-man, the co-eternal, only begotten Son of God. There prays for us. So this is this is a prayer that that will come to pass. Jesus says, "If you pray in my name, in His name, then we will receive what we ask for." Well, why is that? Because if you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in the will of God. You're praying for things that that God has willed to come to pass. It's not just a tagline to put on the end of the prayer. Well, think about when Jesus prays. If we can pray in Jesus' name. Then we then, and our prayers will be answered. Think about when Jesus prays. He prays for only things that, um, as as a, our high priest, he prays for only things that would glorify God the Father. So as Jesus is praying, he's not praying like you and I would, because we don't know what's going to happen. He's praying for as one who was in the eternal council of redemption who existed before the creation of the world, that had communion with the Father. Because remember, it says, O now, Father, in verse 5, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So we're we're talking about the Son who had glory with the Father before there was a world. In the eternal council of redemption, he knows who who will be saved because he is... um, been given those elect by the Father, as our text says. So that's who's praying for us. Jesus intercedes with us. Um, I'm going to hold your place there. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 9 first and think about this text. As Jesus is praying for us, it says in Hebrews 9, 24, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so as we we think about Christ now, where is Christ? Not in Jerusalem. He's at the right hand of the Father. He appears in the presence of God for us. It's as if in John 17 we hear a glimpse of how Christ intercedes for us in heaven. He's not praying for those who do not believe and will not believe that they might believe. But he is there in the presence of God for us. For us. For us who have been redeemed. For us to whom he has died for. For those in verse 28 that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him who are he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's who Christ is praying for now, and that's who Christ prayed for then. Wouldn't it be odd that the high priest, Jesus, would pray for one thing in John 17 and pray for something else in Hebrews chapter 9? He who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he who has only done the will of the Father and only done what is pleasing to the Father, wouldn't it be odd that he would pray two different things at two different times 
For two different sets of people? No, he, who he prayed for in John 17 is who he intercedes for then and now. Look over in chapter 7, Hebrews verse uh, 25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So who is he able to save? Those he makes the intercession for. It's the same group of people. There's not a group of people to whom Jesus makes intercession for and is not saved. But those he is able to save, he does save. And those he does save come unto him, and those who come unto him he makes intercession for. And it's all the same group of people. So Jesus is the mediator. He is the high priest who is praying. And that's why a lot of people call this the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, because he's praying as a high priest for his people. Who else is Jesus praying for, or who else is this praying, rather? Well, it's the Son of God. The same one when he was baptized and on the Mount of Transfiguration where the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is the dear Son. I think it's awful to consider that people urge others to pray to the saints of old or to pray to, Mary, pray to Mary and ask the saints or the angels or someone to intercede for them. When here, the scriptures tell us that God, the, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, His dear Son, intercedes for us. And it's at the right hand of the Father because He has died for His people. And that the scripture tells us there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And what what... A terrible thing to do is tell people, well, yes, Jesus is a mediator, but you've got a bunch of them you can go to. You can go and pray to this saint for this reason and that saint for that reason to help you. No, we pray um, unto the Father through the Son. And when the Son prays for us, you know that He is heard because He is the dear Son of the Father. There's also the blessed assurance of the prayers of Jesus. I mentioned earlier that sometimes I can pray for something God says no. Sometimes I can pray for something God says yes. But for Jesus, it's always yes. For our mediator, it's always yes. Because as the second person of the Trinity, um, it's not that, that there's two different wills between the Father and the Son. It's not that the Father wants one thing the son wants another, or the, the, the son wants it, uh, everybody to be saved, but the father has only chosen some. It's not like they're opposed to one another, but because there's one divine will. And when Jesus prays as our mediator, the answer is always yes. He always, and so with that in mind, think of the assurance that you have as a believer to know that when Jesus prays that 
that there would be unity among us whenever he prays that we would see his glory, when we, he prays that, that he wills that we would be where he is. Think of, just remember that his prayer is always answered yes. In John eleven forty two. When Jesus, right, when Jesus uh, was praying right before Lazarus is raised from the dead, he thanks the Father. He says in verse 41, that thou hast heard me. And then in verse 42 he says, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Well, I'm glad Jesus prayed where people could hear him. Jesus didn't have to pray out loud. But he did so because I want people to hear me. I know you always hear me, Father. You always hear me. You always answer. But I said it out loud so that everybody could hear it so they would know that you always hear me. They know that you have sent me. John 11, John 17, we can have the confidence that the Father always hears Jesus. And so you might say, you might fear and you might doubt. And then you can go to John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Child of God, Jesus prayed that it was his will, his desire, that all those that the Father had given him would behold his glory. And the Father always hears Jesus. That prayer will be answered. So that, that gives us much assurance. What kind of assurance would you have if Jesus prayed for a group of people that they, didn't, they weren't saved? Some people just, because they, want, they don't want to give up a free will. They don't want to give up choice. They don't want to give up their, the idea that they have a choice in the matter um, and their supposed autonomy. They don't want to give that up. And, and so they would rather view Jesus as praying for people that may go to heaven or may not. And that the Father may answer this prayer affirmatively and he may not. All to be able to say, I chose uh, Jesus and, and, and other people didn't. It was all of my own, all of my own will. So, I mean, you either have to, but if you think about this, in this section right here, there were choices made, but it was God who made the choice. That's what the text of Scripture say. And I, I understand that, and, and I understand questions people have, and I'm not downplaying questions people have, because this is a, a, big, a big topic to, to think about God's sovereignty and, and uh, human choice and, and free will and all those types of things. I understand questions that people have about that, but if we just look at the text of Scripture and just, and just think about what Jesus is saying and think about what the, the rest of Scripture has said about this, we have to know that, that there is a choice that was made here. But I guess the point I'm getting at is what glorifies God? 
Well, it's glorifying to God that Jesus' prayers always are answered. We can have assurance in the fact that Jesus answers a prayer because otherwise, I guess this is what I was driving at, otherwise, if we don't, if, if, if Jesus prays for people to be saved and they're not saved, then you have no assurance in your salvation. And there's no assurance in John 17, 24 for you because you might be like one of those people that Jesus prayed for and then, and then died and went to hell. There's no assurance there. But there is blessed assurance knowing that Jesus, the Father always hears Jesus. That goes along the lines of Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Well, let's start reading verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going to charge God's elect? Well, nobody, because it's God that justifies. Who's going to bring a charge and tell God that he's wrong? Who, God justifies, so who's going to come and overrule God's justification? Well, no one can. Who is he that condemneth? It is, so what's the basis of this? Just because God said so? No. The basis of this is that Christ died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. So what's the basis of this? It's not, it's not that Jesus just says, Father, I want you to save these people. No, it is that the Father has chosen a people unto salvation. And then as the text says, he gave those unto the Son. And so now the Son on earth intercedes for those to whom the Father gave him. But then Christ died for those to whom the Father gave him. And those the Father gave him are justified. And Christ died for them and they are justified. They are cleansed from all their sins. They have his imputed righteousness. And then Christ rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us. Who does Christ intercede for? Who does Christ pray for? Those the Father gave him. Who does Jesus die for? Those the Father gave him. Who did he pray for in John 17? Those the Father gave him. So who is it that the Holy Spirit comes to and draws into life and quickens? Those for whom Christ died for. Who is it that the Holy Spirit applies the, uh, the work of redemption to their hearts and their souls? Those that Christ died for, those that Christ prayed for, those the Father gave to Christ, those that the Father chose in salvation. So that's who's praying. I pray for them. Well, then our text says, I pray not for the world. All right, so that's a distinction. I pray for them, but not them. I pray for this group of people, but I don't pray for this group of people. No matter what you believe about the doctrines of grace, unless you just say that this isn't true, you have to say that there's a group of people that he prayed for and a group of people he didn't pray for. Now, the Armenian might say, well, he's praying for the apostles here. He's not praying 
in the sense of election, but he's just saying, I pray for the apostles, but, no, but not everybody else at this time. But the apostles aren't the only ones trusting in Jesus at this time. You have three or four Marys in the scripture who all trust in Jesus. Think of all the, the, the woman that had the issue of blood who came to faith in Christ. The, the Gentile woman that said, you know, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. The, the centurion that Jesus said he hadn't seen such faith in all of Israel. All these people trusted in Christ. Is that to say that they have no interest in, in the Savior's love because Jesus was praying for the apostles, they say? No. It's not a distinction between the apostles and everybody else, because the prayer was was for um, eternal issues. Whatever Jesus is praying for here is for specific people. The unity in, that Jesus prayed for in verse twenty-one has to be a special kind of unity. There has to be a distinction. You say, well, the world means the world. That means everybody. All means all. The world means everybody in the world. Okay? Well, then in verse 21, where he says that they all may be one, that thou art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in one of us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Does that mean that Jesus is praying for the unity of everybody without distinction? Is he praying for the unity of um, Islam and Buddhism, the unity of the atheists. Well, no, he's. You say, well, of course not. He's not praying for that. He's praying for the unity of those who believe. Exactly. Who are those that believe? Those that the Father had given. It's a distinction between the reprobate and the elect. It's a distinction between those who believe and those who don't. The only difference is that Jesus knows who the, 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 the different groups are. I don't know who the different groups are. You don't know. But Jesus knew. Because the Father had given them. So, Jesus makes a distinction. And if you go down through there and look at every instance where it talks about the world, it's either the unbelieving world or the earth itself. And Jesus is not saying, I pray not for the earth and the trees. I pray not for the, the bears and the snakes and, and the clouds and the dirt. He's, that's not what he's saying. I pray for them, but I pray not for the world. The world is a group of people. And the world in this context is not everybody who's ever lived. Because if you, if you read this whole section, you find that, that they are in the world, but not of the world. The, meaning that, that they are in this earth. They're not of the world system. There's a distinction there between the elect and the reprobate, the sheep and the goats. There's a different usage of the word world. And the only way you could deny that this word world was referring to a separate group of people than the ones that Jesus was praying for is just you have to come to the text with a certain view of, of scripture and you just have to come to the text and say well 
whatever it means, it can't mean election. I mean, that's the only way that, if, if, that's the only way you can come to this whole section. Now, there's other passages in the Bible where they're difficult, where, you know, in 1 uh, Timothy, for example, there's other passages where uh, someone might come to that and say, well, I have a hard time reconciling this passage with, with the doctrines of grace. You can't do that here. This is not a difficult path. This is very clear, very clear cut what Jesus is saying. I pray for them, the elect. Jesus does not pray for the reprobate. Otherwise, we'll, we'll think what would happen if Jesus was praying for everybody, including those who were unsaved. Well, first of all, he would be praying for people that he knew would be unsaved. He'd be praying that people who were already in hell would, go, would not go to hell. He'd be praying for those to whom he knew were reprobate and praying for them anyway. You think the Antichrist is going to go to heaven? Revelation tells us that he's not. Revelation tells him, now this is a man, the Antichrist is going to go to hell. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. He tells us he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Did Jesus pray for the Antichrist? Did he pray, Father, please save the Antichrist? Would you pray that? Would you pray that the Lord would save the Antichrist? Well, I'd tell you that would be kind of silly since God says that he's, going, he's not going to uh, be saved. That God has already told us what's going to happen. The, the destiny of his soul has been fixed. And we, we know what that is. So it would be a, a, a silly for you to do that. Would Jesus, the eternal God, therefore pray for those the Father didn't give him and those that had been ordained unto wrath? That would mean that Jesus would intercede for those that the Father didn't give him. It would mean that Jesus' will and the Father's will would be separate. Um, the psalmist tells us very specifically that this is the prayer that the Father is going to hear and the Father is going to answer. Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Verse 7 says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You are the son, you are the Messiah, you, and you ask me for those, and I'll give them to you. You ask me, and they will be yours. And, and the Father gave those to the Son, and now Jesus prays for those. And his prayer is answered. So there is a distinction there. Last thing um, is verse number 10. Where it says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus has an interest in praying for the elect. That when the elect were given to the Son... The Father didn't just stop loving His people. It wasn't here, I give them to you and they're yours now and not my, not my responsibility anymore. I bought a horse off somebody one time. Her dad did. 
And uh, the guy, great deal. He said, I'll tell you what, you can take that horse. He said, I'll throw the saddle in on top of it. And you have horse and saddle both. And dad, dad bought it, and uh, the guy left. And we took the saddle off the horse, and that horse's back swayed down about like that. That's why he gave the saddle away. We wouldn't have bought the horse if we'd seen how bad shape his back was in. And Dad called that guy all. He just laughed. He says, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, I think he said he's a sway back from way back. That's what he told me. <laughs> but he's like, he's yours now. You bought him, fair and square. Well, that's not how the father did to us. He didn't say, well, here, you take them. They're not, none of my concern anymore. No, the father loves us. And the father gave us, though, gave us to the son. But the father still loves us. And the son says, all those that I am praying for, all of them are mine, but they're yours too. They're ours. You love them, and you gave them to me that I would purchase them, cleanse them, that they may be with us. Because you see the divine unity throughout this, this chapter, the unity of the Father and the Son and the, and the Blessed Trinity. And he says, I'm dying for those that you gave them. And so, I am glorified in them. How is the Son glorified in us? Well, the Son died for us. And the Son is glorified in redeeming the elect. That's how he's glorified. So, Jesus has an interest in those that he prays for, because that's how he receives glory. And that's how the Father receives glory, by Saving the people the Father gave to him. And so um, Ephesians 1, I want to look at these and as we close here. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse number 3. Now think about that. Jesus says he brings his glory into it, that he might be glorified in those that the Father gave him. He prays for these people. He prays that they would have everlasting life and said, because you gave them to me and because they still belong to you, I will be glorified in it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he has chosen us. Who chose us? Well, the Father chose us. In him. Who's that? Well, that's Christ. When did he do this? Before the foundation of the world. For what end? That we might be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, why did he do this? According to the good pleasure of his will, to what end for God? For our end, that he chose us that we might be holy and without blame. But what end for God? To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. He is glorified in the redemption of God's people. There is glory in the Father choosing in the Son, dying in the Spirit, quickening. Ephesians 3, 21, Unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Unto Him be glory. So there is the interest that Christ has in His own glory, in the glory of the Father, that this prayer is answered. Otherwise, there's no glory there, right? There's no glory 
unto the Father. There's no glory unto the Son by a Savior who didn't do what he set out to do. The glory in this is that he was victorious, that he, he did what he came to do. He saved his people. So all glory unto Christ. And that gives us assurance because not only does Christ have an interest in doing what the Father gave him, but he has an interest in himself to be honored and glorified in completing that task. Well, let's, uh, let's dismiss now in a, in a word prayer.